Hmm. Amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But under the right circumstances, a producer could make more money with a flop than he could with a hit. Hmm. Yes, it's quite possible. Welcome to the NFC Least Show, the show about everything that's bad and ugly in the NFC East, the only podcast dedicated to the Detroit Lions. Williams, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Doing absolutely fantastic. It's the Joe Biden era. The Giants <laughs> will never lose again. This is the blue wave that everyone's been talking about. This is it, and I'm living. Oh man, I, that really makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I've appropriated all of liberal politics to fit my football team. Um, I'm really I'm happy proud. you're able to do that. Uh, I'm really happy you're feeling good about your team because I am very much not at this point in the football season. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. I think about yeah. Giants, Eagles. Uh, but, Let's not talk about your team or my team. Let's talk about our team. <laughs> exactly. The Detroit, the Detroit Lions. Let's talk about the one team we can agree on. Um, yeah, let's jump into that game first. Washington Lions. Uh, Washington losing on a last second Matt Prater field goal. Um, but the, the Lions got ahead to a pretty pretty huge lead to start that game. Uh, Alex Smith battled back a bit and got Washington back in it, but ultimately they fell short and they're sitting at two and seven. I, they're tied with the Cowboys right now, a team we've already crossed off. The question is, is, is it time to cross them off as well? Can they get out of that hole? So I thought about this long and hard because watching the Washington Lions game, Washington's offense looked terrible. Their defense looked terrible. And then in the second half, maybe because they were down by so much in Detroit, let off the gas a little bit, kind of similar to what happened in last week's uh, Washington Giants game. Uh, Alex Smith and company was able to create a little bit of a comeback. Suddenly the defense was getting stops and they looked really good and they ended up, granted, losing by three, but losing by three on the road to a kind of classically Lions-Lions team. Um, I, I don't think I'm ready to cross them off yet. You look at their last couple losses, they're all very close. I do think there's a world where they turn the corner, especially as Alex Smith maybe gets more confidence sitting in the pocket um, with his leg and, and you know Chase Young figures it out as the year goes along. I don't know, but I think they have more upside. I'm They're still on my board to win this division at 2-7. and seven. <laughs> What are we at at this point? What are we thinking wins a division? Are we thinking uh, seven and nine, six and ten, a six, nine and one Eagles record? Is is that what you're thinking? This Washington team can potentially get to a uh, a six and ten record? Seven and nine nine? is crazy talk. No, I don't don't (laughs) think that's possible. (laughs) I don't think that's possible. Um, The wins just aren't there. Six, nine, and one, the Eagles, that's probably the mark to beat. If the Eagles get to six wins, it's probably game over. Um, and I'm sure we'll get to whether or not they can actually get to six wins. But I think, yeah, Washington here at, at six and ten, you know, that's only four and three down the stretch. It's not, you can stumble in at six and ten and be sitting pretty, I think. Man, I'm already, it's, it's less than four minutes into this pod. And I'm already struggling to, 
to stay with the bit that oh, it's no. good that these teams are bad. <laughs> Welcome. When you asked me to do this podcast, that, <laughs> when we talked about it, I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And you didn't understand because your team wasn't that bad. And now you're here with me. <laughs> these teams really the are team. really are that bad. And I'm um, it's finally emotional tolls probably starting to get at me. I know I'll turn when the Eagles win the next, whatever the next game they win, I'll be all back in. But this week is pretty rough for me. Yeah, I gotta say, it, the magic <laughs> of it is really because the division is so bad. All you need is one win to feel amazing. Yeah, suddenly so you're right back in the hunt. <laughs> Bought so. back in, baby. Let's go. <laughs> gotta gotta feel for Washington fans this week. They didn't get the one win boost. Um, I. So I mean, we're we're the reason why we're having this conversation. I feel is you know it's it's November, sample size is there. Every team in this division has played um, nine games. Every team in the division has at least six games left. Um, I think we know who these teams are at this point. Um, and you know, I'm looking at each of the schedules. I, I think exiting this game our takes that have been kind of brewing over the past couple weeks that Washington and New York are playing the best football in the division. I think they held. Um, it's, it's just the one win edge that the giants have over Washington combined with the schedule Washington has to close out the year. I just don't see how they get to the division winning six wins that they'll need at least faster than the Giants and potentially the Eagles can. Um, I am probably more willing to cross them off, but I'm willing to give them a um, an Alex Smith lifeline for one week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, I do Smith think is- they do play the, the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, and I think that's going to be a pretty decisive game for both of those teams. Um, yep. may- maybe we'll give them two games before we start seriously talking about them. Yeah. Um, I guess the two things that bounced that like stuck out at me about this Washington lions game is one. It is so sad to me that Washington is clearly better playing better offensive football than the Philadelphia Eagles. And we can get into that when we talk giants Eagles, but also like, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's have a, a brief ep of uh lions talk. I have no idea. Like what, what are the Detroit Lions? I don't get it. <laughs> Why? Like, you, I guess here's here's what I think, right? Like, I watch, like, I've always had a soft spot for Matt, Matt Stafford as a quarterback. I think he's slightly underrated. Um, I watch this, you know, the Lions and Washington on red zone. I watch the highlights. I see him laying out dimes to yep. Marvin Jones. I see DeAndre Swift busting out on 20 to 30 yard runs. Their offense seems like they have pieces. Their defense seems like a doormat sometimes, but they can generate pressure. I I just, I don't understand why they're as bad as what they are. Um, especially in like a pretty bad NFC North with a bad bears team and a mediocre Vikings team. Like I don't get why they're not in like the second place wildcard discussion right now. It's a great point. Watching Matt Matt Stafford made what felt like all the throws on Sunday. Usually my kind of 
mental Detroit Lions headspace is occupied by like a slightly below average team with a slightly above average quarterback. That's kind of just how I frame them, no matter what their roster looks like year over year. Um, that probably holds mostly true this year. Looking at their DVOA, they're 25th in defensive DVOA, which probably explains a lot of the struggles they've had. And then they're actually 14th in offensive DVOA. So they do have some upside there. I do think Stafford makes a lot of things happen for a team that otherwise doesn't have a ton of explosiveness. Although I will say DeAndre Swift looks like a guy at running back for them. First time Detroit's had a good running back in a hundred years. So I I still don't know what to make of them, but it was fun to actually watch a full game of Detroit Lions football and kind of get a sense for, for what they're about. Yeah. Um, and that was what I was watching at 1 p.m. <laughs> I was not watching. <laughs> I had to go back. <laughs> the Giants-Eagles game. <laughs> um, yeah, I love – thank you for pulling those PFF numbers. Uh, I love when my eye test matches the uh, the range of PFF scores. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes this week's episode of Lions Talk. <laughs> so let's get to the meat and potatoes yep. of this episode. Uh, Giants Eagles um, Giants win pretty decisively um, Eagles string. What I would say generously is two drives together, but otherwise look clueless on offense, their defense. You can say kept them in the game, but ultimately you know, still gave up more than 20 points to the Giants offense. So it's not like it, they were pitching a shutout either. Uh, when the when uh, the Giants did find success on offense, it was mostly because they were being out-coached and out-schemed. Um, or rather, the Eagles are being out-coached and out-schemed by the Giants. Yeah. I thought Jason Garrett called a great game. Yep. I take the W, man. It was a great game, but... Uh, I mean, how are you feeling from the Giants side? And I can get into what I'm taking away from the Eagles side. I feel good. I think you already hit a lot of points there. Um, I think Garrett has done a good job of figuring out what he's working with. It's easy to forget Giants did not really have an offseason. At least the coaching staff didn't to plan for what was coming or have a training camp or anything like that. Um, Or at least preseason, you know what I mean. Uh, I think having Sterling Shepard back has been monumental for the Giants offense in terms of Garrett's conservative-ish move-the-chains play calling. It helps us put drives together and gives Jones somebody that he trusts to throw the ball to and actually hold on to it. Um, I think a real story of the game was the special teams play of the Giants and the field position. I felt like the Eagles were constantly pinned back at like, the five or 15 yard line. And they had to mount these big drives with no mistakes just to get over the hump, which is never where you want to be. And conversely, the giants had some decent opportunities with some relatively short fields and did a good job of capitalizing on it with um, no turnovers by either team. Uh, I think the final thing that's on my mind really, as I'm just looking at giants fans reactions and renewed optimism is tempering expectations. I think this team has done a good job under Joe Judge and the rest of the Giants coaching staff 
Garrett and Graham have both done an excellent job, I think, given the pieces that they have. But at the end of the day, this is a 3-7 and seven team, and while it feels like they're on the upswing, you have to wonder how they're getting over the hump into a consistent playoff contender, which is what every Giants fan hopes down the line, right? So it's a question of who actually develops, who are these young guys are the best contributors. Right now, the best players on the team tend to be veterans, um, Blake Martinez, James Bradbury, uh, even Leonard Williams, all those guys on the defensive side. The offense has, has, I think, a little bit more potential in its youth, but that becomes the formative question for a relatively healthy team. How are you elevating to that 11 and five, you know, get a buy in the playoffs type contender? And I, that, that's, that's a big jump to make. A lot of young teams kind of sit where the Giants are and think there are better things to come and it doesn't always happen. So while I feel good, I don't want to, you know, go insane here. That's kind of my, I can't, I can't ever be fully optimistic. I don't ever want to get my heart broken that hard. You know me. So yep. this is my way of uh, conditioning <laughs> hedging. myself. And hedging. We yeah, are, hedging, we are pro hedging podcasts. We're perpetually hedging our expectations <laughs> so that we're always pleasantly surprised. Exactly, unless, yeah. uh, unless you're the Philadelphia Eagles when you're always yeah. a disappointment. Um, Let's go right I, <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I think you're hitting on some, some good points about the giants. I would say just giving an outsider's perspective on uh, tampering expectations. Um, I would almost say that if you guys do end up pushing six and 10 or and overachieving seven and nine this season, a, I mean, winning the division at that record would be a cherry on top of it. But even if, let's say, that was a second or third place record in an otherwise normal year, right? Mm-hmm. Losing Saquon week two with a rookie head coach, you take that for a developing team, a young team, right? That's a very good bridge year into what you hope is an 11 and five type season in 2021. Yeah. Right. I I would say of the four teams in the division, Giants fans probably have the most to be happy about right now. Um, So I almost, I understand where that optimism is coming from. I would say, I mean, temper it if you think that being fortunate enough to win the division this year at a record like that means that you will do anything besides maybe one upset win in the playoffs, you know, like I wouldn't be expecting that, but of these four teams, I think the giants are probably the best positioned right now for success beyond this year. And really whether they do it or not really just boils down to your faith in Gettleman and judge. Yeah. And that's where it gets weird because so far I like judge I don't like Gettleman. Gettleman's, some of his free agent signings have been great. But on the whole, I mean, this is Gettleman's third year in charge of operations. And the Giants, you know, are maybe if they get to seven and nine kind of miraculously, that would be maybe then I'd change my tune. But it's looking like another year of five and 11 or worse for the Giants pragmatically. So you don't. 
at some point it's got to show up on paper. You know, all this potential has to be translated into something. And there's still time this year for the Giants to maybe show that. But I don't want two wins, two straight wins against NFC East competition to cloud my view of what this team actually is. And we'll find out more about that, um, you know, in the weeks to come. Yeah. I mean, just looking ahead really quick at the teams that the Giants have coming up. Uh, you're on a bye this coming week, last NFC East team on a bye. But after that bye, you've got Bengals, Seahawks, Cardinals, Browns, Ravens, Cowboys. And, you know, I'm looking at that and I think there's three wins in there for you guys. I think especially, I mean, I I guess here's the thing. You're betting on that first game after the bye, that Bengals game being a W and seeing where that momentum takes you. So I think three straight wins and a bye you know, could lead you to overperform against a team like the Seahawks or the Cardinals, right? Uh, yep. Even if they even if they wind up in losses, right? I think at that point, given where maybe other teams in the division fall, even a loss, a competitive loss against the Seahawks and Cardinals still makes you feel like you have the confidence to beat the Browns, potentially the Ravens, and definitely the Cowboys to close out the year, you know? Yeah, I mean, it would be awesome to beat a team like the Ravens. I feel like that's a team the Giants haven't beaten in five years, even though they are a little mortal. So I we'll see coming out of the bye week. That will be a testament, another testament to the coaching staff and how well they're able to prepare and scheme. The Bengals are kind of another bad team on the upswing, another bad young team. So should be a fun test, and we will – have to take it from there and kind of see if it shakes out. A fun test indeed. A one o'clock game near <laughs> Giants, Cincinnati Bengals, baby. The most beautiful thing maybe in life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Why why isn't that flex game material? Why doesn't uh <laughs> Honestly, there's a good Joe Burrow, Danny Dimes narrative to be had there. I guess they're I, the I thought about that for like two more seconds and never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forget yeah, it. We, we don't want to do uh we don't want to do Kenny Albert's job for him on this pod. <laughs> he can figure out that narrative for himself. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's uh oh man. The Philadelphia Eagles. Uh I'm I'm mad. I'm you know, frustrated is probably a better word. Um, you look up and down the roster. We have the talent to win this division. Um, I don't think, even if we got fans, personnel, people, anyone to objectively look at a printout of all four teams in the NFC East roster after the injuries they've had this year, why anyone would say not knowing anything about how the season has gone, why anyone would not favor the Eagles to win three games, four games to clinch this division. Um, but you look at how they play, particularly on offense, and it doesn't inspire any sort of confidence, hope, belief, anything that they'll maybe even win a game left this year. Um Given who they have to play in these last six games, the Browns, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, Cardinals, Cowboys, uh, 
I look at that slate and I see two winnable games potentially, maybe a game and a half. Um, the Browns game can go either way. And I think the Cowboys week 17 against a team that's more dejected and sad than you at that point is maybe the only W you can just pencil in at this point. Yeah. Um, and to me, I think the, we've known what this team is, uh, this whole season. And I think a lot of Eagles fans have been trying to put a finger on the one problem. Um, is it the defense, the linebackers, um, wide receiver depth, offensive line injuries? Um, is it Carson Wentz? Is he the guy? Um, and I, I think after this week, um, the only obvious finger that you can point at anyone is the head coach, Doug Peterson. I think the only reason why he hasn't been formally put on the hot seat um, this season is his Super Bowl and two-time playoff appearance um, grace period. Everyone gives him the benefit of the doubt. And in my opinion, it's it's over. Um, I saw a sloppy team. I saw uninspired play calling. I saw um, basic, basic execution mistakes um, that killed drives, killed momentum. It was atrocious, especially coming off of a bye. Two weeks to prepare against a two-win team. Yep. Yeah. It was pathetic. And I think there's, I, I think you're right. It, it felt like no facet of the game went well for the Eagles. There's been a lot of scrutiny of Carson Wentz, but I don't think you can say he was the problem uh, on Sunday. In fact, I would argue that he did a lot of what Eagles fans have been asking him to do, which is tone it down a little bit, play within the system and kind of help other players make plays. He missed some throws. Who doesn't? Um, his O-line didn't do him really many favors at all. Um, so if, if you're right that you can point fingers at almost anything, but speaking from kind of the opposite sideline, to me, the big, the big struggle was in play calling over the course of the game, kind of meandering away from the run game that was working so well. And also the defense's inability to get a stop at any crucial point. Uh, right after the half, the Eagles marched down the field, got a touchdown, made it look easy. I think that was when Boston Scott punched it in, if I'm not mistaken. Could be wrong. Um, but then the Giants came right back and did the same thing. And suddenly, you know, it was still a two-score game and the Eagles had made no progress and you were almost done with the third quarter. Um, they just didn't give themselves any room to catch up that way. So it felt like there were a lot of just a lot of performance issues for the Eagles and, and not a lot of guys stepping up and doing a great job, which is really what you need to do, you know, to win divisional football games, even against bad teams. I guess my question for you from like an Eagles fan perspective, and sorry if this is twisting the knife a little bit is I can hear you laughing already. Like, in the Peterson era, the Giants have been, I think, like the game the Eagles can rely on winning 
like when the chips are down, there's always a Giants game to win, you know? And so does this in some way feel like an especially telling symbolic um, game for the Eagles and the Peterson era and the direction of the franchise? Do you not want to take that much away from it? Where are you at with that? That's a great question. Uh, I'm going to say no, just because it's not a thought that crossed my mind necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I think that a Giants win says more about the progress the Giants have made than the necessarily the regression that the Eagles have been on at this point. Um, I, I Hard to say, but I think that's a fair... Uh, I think it's a fair twist of the knife to throw out there. Um, I think you hit on a lot of correct things. Carson Wentz did play within system and he did take what the defense gave him in this game and he didn't lose the game. Um, yeah. It The system sucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and the offensive line failed him like they failed him every game this year um i also got frustrated at the lack of uh sticking with the run i think i texted you this i think the big thing for me was you're coming off a bye week we talked last week about these players coming back from injury and whether they can be reintegrated into this team and it wasn't even that the Eagles failed. It wasn't just that the Eagles failed to reintegrate Alshon Jeffrey, Dallas Goddard, and really even Jalen Rager with any sort of meaningful consistency. Um, it's that we couldn't even get a sense of really what the Eagles were trying to do to involve those players and get them in rhythm and establish some sort of consistent option to take the football on a play-by-play basis. The most success they had on offense were the zone blocking reads that they managed to hit with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott and plays in which Richard Rodgers was the second or third option. Right. Yeah. There was one moment where I think on the fourth and 10 play where they Raker was clearly the first read and they had him one-on-one against Bradbury. But the route they had him run was like a like a 10-yard little curl route, you know? Yep. Like just like a little turnaround and stop, which feels like not the run you have your burner guy run against a good, physical, smart corner like Bradbury. Like, yep. It just, it just felt like a weird personnel matchup. Like, you're going to challenge their, by far, probably the best player on the whole defense – one-on-one in a subpar route with your rookie wide receiver. It just seemed that to me was kind of the microcosm of the Eagles decision-making all day long. Yep. And, you know, and if I'm, there's so many ways you can try and analyze or defend decision. Um, it's a high leverage play and you need to hit it and it wouldn't have the scrutiny on it if you hit it. Right. Yep. Um, I think I'll close it on one on one thing about Peterson. And I'm really hoping that this maybe sparks a bit of a change, but he kind of um, 
uncharacteristically opened his weekly radio show this week <laughs> stating he's pissed off he's ticked off he's he's uh he's church going mad at uh <laughs> when you started when you started going to the eagles thing you started by saying i'm mad and i thought you were like gonna do a doug peterson bit like that's where like, <laughs> no no i'm i'm actually mad <laughs> <laughs> um you know go google the clip if you're interested in listening to it um but it sounded like he may have been performatively mad i don't know it just my take on it and i think this is ultimately what i try to what i want to try and get to is he his whole shtick as a leader and a coach has been um keep keep the team positive have them believe in themselves i kind of jokingly referred to it as like if bill belichick was fred rogers for mr rogers neighborhood just like pure trust the process keep the the locker room a vacuum have the players focus and if they believe in themselves we have the guys in this locker room to win games and that's kind of been his coaching mo right and we want a Super Bowl with that kind of locker room philosophy and mentality. I wonder whether this heel turn into angry Doug, no matter how uh, authentic it is, even if it is performative, is on some level a recognition that he does not have the guys in that locker room anymore for that to be a successful way to motivate a team to correct these issues. Um we have a lot of young guys compared to that Super Bowl year. Now we have a lot of guys that we drafted to replace the older guys that have not matured into the type of players that we'd want them to be. And we're coming off the back of two nine and seven seasons. Um, granted with playoff appearances, but nine and seven seasons all the same after a 13 and three Super Bowl winning season. And I'm just wondering whether this is a, finally the 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 straw has broken the camel's back a bit um and he realizes he can no longer just trust his players to figure this out on their own and that they do need to be whipped into shape a bit um if that is the case that's my only hope that we may see a more energized clinical eagles performance against the browns next sunday um because otherwise i expect more of the same because this is all that the team has given us so far this year yeah yeah, I think you. I think you're spot on. I think the Doug mentality and kind of maybe even subconsciously realizing he doesn't have the guys getting into his personality change says a lot. It's really frustrating, you know. Yes. Well, I'm <laughs> glad I'm here to. I don't know, help get you through this or something. Oh, thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> the, the issue becomes like we're about to play a lot of non-divisional games and both our teams will probably lose. (laughs) (laughs) And this podcast will get very depressing. Yeah. Uh, Stay tuned for that. If the Eagles lose two more games, I'll just become a Lions guy. That's a good idea. (laughs) We should just do that now, honestly. (laughs) So let's get into the previews. Um, The Giants are on a bye. And we have three other... NFC East games all 
non-divisional games and a return of our beloved Dallas Cowboys. We got Eagles, Browns, Washington, Cincinnati, and Cowboys, Vikings. Um, I guess I can, we can just really quickly go through each of these yep. three since they're non-divisional games. Can't wait to be a Browns, a Bengals, and a Vikings pod next week. Um, <laughs> I don't... I, I'm not a believer in a in a in a bounce back week for the Eagles at this point. I just spent 15 minutes monologuing about how bad they are. Um, the Browns, the one thing you can probably say could work to the Eagles' advantage is Baker Mayfield ain't the guy. They've got a good defense, um, but all their offense is coming through uh, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb at this point. Um, I think just comping to the most recent game, the Eagles are more capable than the Texans at potentially putting up points in this game. But I don't know. Uh, I think this is a Browns win something like 24 to 14. Um, Yeah. I got Browns 23, 17 Browns aren't a good team, but in NFC East standards, they are pretty, they're a division winner. Yeah. Pretty comfortably (laughs) too. I think so. They're not a bad yeah. team, and therefore they're and – and I think they just have – the Eagles are really – sometimes you're in a slump and you feel yourself slowly getting out of the slump. I feel like the Eagles are at the bottom right yep. now, and, and it's going to take them a little bit of time to work through it. I, It would not surprise me that it's a better performance, particularly yeah. on offense be against up, the Browns. back on the upswing. Um. But, Honestly, if you're if you're interested in Eagles comeback season, I think I think the Seahawks could be that uh that out of nowhere upset win that they typically get to jumpstart a run of some yeah, point, of some kind. Game. Uh last year it was the Packers game on Thursday night football. The year before that it was the uh I think the Texans game that Nick Foles started that no one expected he'd win. Um and blew the doors off the Texans. Um, I would circle that game before I circle this Browns game. I think there's too much that needs to be corrected. It's too much of an emotional um, deal coming off this Giants game. And I, I think the Browns, especially with a run game, can just run all over this Eagles team. Yep. Um, Washington, Cincinnati. I think this is a Washington win. Um, yep. I, again, Alex Smith. I'm not a believer in him as a division winner, but I think he can do enough to beat this Bengals defense. And I think that Washington's defense is better than what the Bengals have on offense. I can see this pretty easily being a 27 to like 21 win. Yeah. I think the Washington's defensive line is they're going to be out to prove something. The Bengals offensive line is shoddy at best. So a little bit vulnerable. I think it's going to be Washington. Um, I'll go 26, 14. I'll go with a little bit of a weird score. Oof. All right. Let's, uh, let's close it out. The return. That's right. Dallas coming off a bye against Minnesota coming off a win against the bears on Monday night football. Um, I think the Vikings are going to win this pretty handily, even though they're a team with issues right now. Um, At the end of the day, 
I mean, do you really see the Cowboys defense being able to contain Dalvin Cook at all? <laughs> it's, tough. it's tough to picture. I do think <laughs> I do think it's Vikings at a nail biter. I think the Cowboys, you know, this whole Garrett Gilbert magic they've got going on, who knows? Is is Gilbert playing? I, I actually have no idea. I, I'm not sure if I would if Dalton is fully healthy, I guess you have to bring Dalton back, but Gilbert did fine last week, so or two weeks ago, I guess. Um, so we'll kind of see how they handle it. I think the Cowboys are going to find a way to piece together wins at the end of this year, <clears throat> even though we cross them off, and I'm not going back on that. But I don't see this as one of those wins. I think it's going to be Vikings 31-28. So uh, Dalton is at practice today. He, okay. He's out of concussion protocol. He's out of he's out of COVID nineteen okay. list. So well, that, <clears throat> then I'm colder on the Vikings than I was before. <laughs> that <Gary> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be on brand and say that warmed me up to the Vikings a bit more. <laughs> should have uh, McCarthy should have the stones to run with Gilbert one more game. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a lower scoring game than that, just based on, uh, what we saw from the Vikings on, uh, on Monday, they just really seem, even with Justin Jefferson, like the past game there just seems kind of hit and miss based on Kirk Cousins. Um, the old Redskins pass, or I guess that is correct. The old Redskins pass game. Yeah, with and I, I really feel like they will like the the Vikings will score because Dalvin Cook will eat at some point. It's just a matter of how often he eats and in what quantity, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, like they could score thirty points if he can break off like three or four runs, and they'll score like seventeen if he can only break off one. You know. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, I think it's like a 17 to 10, maybe 20 to 10 Vikings win. Um, they, they'll, they'll have issues, I think. And the Cowboys will put out another effortful performance like they did against the Steelers, but they just don't have the juice. And I don't see the Vikings not closing this out. Um, all right. Wow. We got it. Let's, let's bring this home, man. Let's line this plane. I'm feeling a little bit down talking about the Eagles that often. Let's take around the league. Um, I guess I'll go first. <laughs> um, my take this week. We've all moved on too quickly from the assassination attempt against Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> and <laughs> I think we need I think we need an investigation into the Chargers medical staff. For those, kill this man. <laughs> for those who don't know, and I don't want this to take away from Justin Herbert's potential rookie of the year campaign at all. He's played very well. Um, but the season did not start with him starting a quarterback. Uh, journeyman and perpetually underrated quarterback Tyrod Taylor was the starter in San Diego. And it wasn't like he was doing poorly, um, but he had an injury. Um, I believe he, he cracked his ribs, something like that. Um, and 
Justin Herbert won the job because an hour before kickoff of, I think they're week three or week four games, the Chargers team doctors accidentally punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung, (laughs) giving him a cortisol shot to play through his broken ribs. (laughs) I don't know anything about cortisol shots or punctured lungs or broken ribs. But like, how big does the needle? Like, how how bad? Is it? <laughs> it feels like they took a machete to him or something. Which <laughs> I'm just how is this validates so... your. I do believe that this was a hit job. I'm I'm with you. I just an hour before kickoff. That is just that is the most suspicious time for something like this to happen. The only time where you can't really recover from something like that. He was getting cortisol shots all week. And the one he got on Sunday is the one that punctured his lung? Come on, guys. You're the rest of the team in the locker room getting hyped up right before (laughs) kickoff. And suddenly, like, there's, like, an ambulance. And, like, Tyrod is being, like, wheeled out or something. Like, what does that look like? Like, what is going through your head? (laughs) So, yes. We need – you called one last week for Goodell to intervene with the New York Jets. We need a league investigation into the assassination attempt against Tyrod Taylor. Yes, this is a good, a good call for clarity. I think we're all asking for it. A clarion call. <laughs> okay. Are we ready for me? Yes, go for it, man. All right. Mine's, mine might be a cold take at this point. Um, Arizona is winning the Super Bowl this year. I've seen enough. Kyler. What? Yes. Rookie. No. Rookie deal. Yep. Rookie deal quarterback. Funky scheme. They've got. They've they've got a good team. DeAndre Hopkins playing well. Uh, they're in a tough division and they're doing well. And uh, look, I don't like it. It hurts me to say. And you know why it hurts is because I don't wrong. like I don't like good looking <laughs> coaches. And it hurts to say Cliff Kingsbury's done a good job, but he has. I like my coaches to be normal to slightly below average looking guys, um, just spiritually. <laughs> And so this is not great for me. It stings a little bit, but I'm confronting the truth that's happening. The Cardinals look fantastic, and I don't see that changing. I think Kyler is the guy. I don't know where you think that take is cold. I think that's an incredibly hot take. I don't see it, um, (laughs) but I think that's why it makes a good take. It's making me angry. (laughs) (laughs) Can can Um, you can you admit that maybe part of the reason you're angry is because you're aligned with me on the Cliffs Kingsbury hot coach thing? You don't no. like to see. Okay, that's not part of it for you. It's part. Well, of it no, I mean, I it kind of is part of it. And that's why I'm angry. Um, I yeah, I think I've maybe I save this and expand on this for another take around the league segment. But I've I've long maintained that Cliff Kingsbury is a discount diet version of Sean McVay, down to. Literally, the team he coaches is a knockoff version of Los Angeles. (laughs) Um, Phoenix is a poor man's Los Angeles in the desert. Um, And I, here's the thing I, you've now forced me to look at the standings in the NFC. Um, If we're talking Super Bowl, cross off the entire NFC East, cross off the people we talk about for 40 minutes a week. Um, every other team, <laughs> they're not even, they're not even convincingly in first place of their own division. Um, 
That's fine. They've got a better defense in Seattle, but I would argue that Russ and that offense is capable of more than Arizona is. Uh, LA is probably the most balanced team in the division. They've got, they're not as flashy on offense as either the Seahawks or the Cardinals. Um, you Cliff Kingsbury, AKA Sean McVay. Oh God, stop. <laughs> um, and see, here's, here's the thing that I think I can get on board with you with. I think it's pretty clear that the NFC representative in the Super Bowl is going to come from the West, despite the fact that, um, they're one game behind three other teams in, in the, the conference right now. I think mm-hmm. that the Seahawks, Cardinals, and Rams are better than the Packers, Saints, and the Bucks. Yeah, tend to agree. Um, all three of the other teams are Steelers-level paper tigers to me. <laughs> <laughs> Winning the Super Bowl, though... Uh, Look, I, I think the know. winner. I think the winner of this year's Super Bowl is going to come from the AFC. I think the NFC is not that good this year, um, but I will meet you halfway and say that the Cardinals are a competitive team in the division from which I think the Super Bowl representative will come from. <laughs> I'm snatching your take so much. I'm not even giving them an appearance. I'm just saying. They'll go nine and seven this year. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> they're winning it all. Uh, I don't like it either. I'm not in charge of this thing, but I just see the future and it's happening. Kyler is going to lift the Super Bowl trophy. It's going to look smaller than his head somehow. He's got that weird <laughs> head thing going on, and it it works. Um, he also, you know, what I like about Kyler is he's he's very stoic on the field. Um, I just I I think he's got good leadership obviously he's very talented um i just i just feel it in my bones i see it happening um Uh, all right well thanks for joining me again this week buddy i will talk to you next week when the eagles have beaten the cleveland browns and i have the confidence to tell you that they will win the super bowl this year against the arizona cardinals (laughs) well the first the first nfc matchup super bowl uh, I meant over the NFC or over the yeah. Arizona Cardinals. They will make the Super Bowl over the, the Arizona Cardinals. Shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, good part of you as well. Until next time. Bye. Bye.